0: Hey, y'all, thanks for tuning into the We Are One podcast. This space, it's a collection of talks ranging anywhere from sermons from our ministry, creative thoughts, breakout sessions at things like We Are One Conference, as well as some inside scoops on leadership. We hope it helps you. If you want to keep up to date with everything We Are One, you can go to weareoneyouth.com or follow us on social at W-A-O-Youth. We hope you're blessed. Acts chapter 10 is going to be like a part two to the hope of history. But here's the thing. I don't know if you all actually listen to me when I say this or not, but before we can get into this, I like genuinely encourage you, stop, watch the message, Gateway to God. And if you have not watched the extension, like I just referenced, the hope of history, you need to watch them. I'm going to reference a bunch of different messages, extensions, a bunch of different teachings from these dangerous volumes this year and i really just want you to go watch them all but I'm, whenever i reference them let's just get out of the way right now link in the description it's all there everything that you need stop there watch them take them in specifically gateway to god or the hope of history because this i'm just gonna like hop right in and this isn't gonna make any sense if you don't do that i want to finish out acts 10 and Acts 11, and we're only going to have to look at a little bit of it. I'm going to explain why, but verses 1 to 18, and then basically if you go Acts 9, 32 to Acts 11, 18, you got the full story of all of this, but I'm going to finish out Acts 11, 1 to 18 in this, in this extension as well. I'm going to pick up right where we left off. Peter is at the house of this dude named Simon the Tanner. Let's head right into verse 9, Acts chapter 10. Here we go. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the cedar, city, Peter, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Roof? Roof? How do you say it? I don't know. Put it. Leave a comment. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter said. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice, the voice of God, spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. See, this entire vision from God, it was addressing one issue here with Peter. It was nothing to do with the reptiles or animals. or, Isn't it confusing how God does things? It's like, why couldn't you just tell me exactly what the problem was? I think many times God does tell us we just don't want to listen. So he finds another way to get inside of our head. He finds a way to tell us what we need to hear because we wouldn't just listen if he straight up told us. So he gives Peter this whole vision to address his prejudice this thought that Peter thinks, even as a Christian, but he's still a Jew, that Jews are God's favorite. And what I love about this is God uses Luke, a Gentile, to record this thought process of Peter as a Jew. So Peter as a Jew thinking he's God's favorite is displayed here in Acts chapter 10, but Luke, who wrote the entire book of Acts, a Gentile, Let's say, AKA, not God's favorite, according to Peter, he makes sure to really reinforce this revelation. He does it in a couple different ways, but I'll tell you all throughout the book of Acts the revelation that God has made everything clean, meaning Jew, Gentile, don't matter Jesus. Everybody has a shot he keeps reinforcing this. For instance, the entire second half of the book of Acts, you know what Luke did? He made sure he wrote it in a way where the first half was focused on Peter and much of the ministry to the Jews, but the whole second half is focused on the Gentiles. The second half tracks Paul and his missionary journeys to show the focus that, listen, there is no favorites. Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, uh, you know, Israel, America, don't matter. Everybody has a shot at Jesus. There are no favorites. Or even just take the fact of this. If you read Acts 10, and then you go to Acts chapter 11, and you look at the first 18 verses, the reason that I'm not going to get into a lot of the verses is because it's completely restating almost everything that was already said in Acts 10. Why? Luke says the same thing twice. Why? To get it through every reader's thick skull, God has no favorites, he restates all the same details twice. He, he literally goes through, and if you look at Acts chapter 11, he restates like word for word, the vision, word for word, things happening at, at uh, in Caesarea, at Cornelius' house. He does it to make it clear with these details, God has no favorites. I wonder if this idea of favoritism even played a role into why James, the brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, why in James 2... He wrote what he did. You know what he writes in James 2? Very simply, I'm going to break it down. He says, believers in Jesus must not show favoritism. You know, if you look in Acts 11, let me look at these first four verses, and here's where we kind of just breeze past this, and we don't connect all these other pieces in the New Testament. But in Acts 11, we have to understand that James is there. Let me show you. doesn't say it, but I'll break it down for you. Acts 11, verses 1 to 4. The apostles... And the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God, meaning in Acts 10, Peter goes to Cornelius' house with Gentiles and they received it. We know they received it because you'll get to the end, the Holy Spirit drops. It's awesome. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, catch that, Peter goes to Jerusalem, I'll break it down. The circumcised believers, meaning the Jews, criticize him. They're like, bro, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? starting from the beginning, and this is why I'm not covering all the verses, because he just reestablishes everything. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. So that's not why, that's why I'm not going to break down. I'm going to give a little bit more here, a little bit from Acts chapter 11, but he completely restates it all. It says here, did you catch it? That he's speaking to the believers and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Why does that matter? Because if you go to Acts chapter 15, It shows us somebody who was there in Jerusalem who is the leader of the church. Who? James. Why does that matter? Acts chapter 2. James speaks about favoritism. So let's just speculate. Is the reason that he spoke about favoritism because in Acts 11, Peter comes back and he's like, guys, you're not going to believe this. Just like happened with, like what happened with us, with the Holy Spirit dropping, it just happened with a bunch of Gentiles in Caesarea. This dude Cornelius, yeah, he fell on his knees, it was crazy, I was like, get up, I'm just a man. His whole family's there, they're all gathered. The Holy, I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit shows up. And God doesn't show any favoritism. James was there hearing it, and we know that because he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And it says here that Peter went up to Jerusalem, he spoke to the believers and the apostles at the church. And we know he was there because Acts 15 tells us that he was there and assembled. So why did James write James chapter two, the letter? We must not show favoritism as a believer because he heard it from Peter. There's something about a testimony when you see a changed man. Even James as a Jew was very much a prejudice in Jew favoring man himself, like, man, we it, like God's all about us, the Jews. But when he saw the change in Peter, there's something about when you get around changed people, changed people start changing even you in a good way. Because when you see how Jesus has impacted their life, it starts impacting how Jesus can impact your own life. Cause you're like, oh yeah, I see that in my own life too. I got those problems as well. So James even reestablishes later and he breaks it down. We must not show Any favoritism. You know, Luke notes for us, though, that when this vision's dropping, Peter's really pushing back on it. He's giving God a hard time. He's like, No, 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 Lord, I've never eaten anything uh, unclean. And God's like, Oh, bro, listen to what I'm saying. And so we understand that he has to get it in Peter's thick skull. How many times? Verse 16, Acts chapter 10, it says, This happened three times. Three times God had to keep establishing the same thought. You're not getting it. And immediately then after finally the third time, he's like, okay, Peter's got it. Immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. This happened three times. God does things with Peter in threes a lot. Peter denied Jesus three times. And and, and Jesus said, he's listening, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. It was already established. Peter was going to do it. He denied him three times. And then after he denied him, he's he's there at the seashore, going back to fishing. He's like, I'm, I, don't, I don't know. I'm done with this whole Jesus thing. I don't even know if I can do that. I can't leave this church. I can't follow Jesus. I can't, I messed this up. Cut a dude's ear off right out of the gate here when Jesus was taken. Next thing I know, I denied him. I said, I'd never leave him. I left him. And so Jesus shows up and he, he reinstates him, the Bible says, to faith. And also then we see now here he is to the ministry. And, and in John chapter 21, he asked him this question three times to reinstate him. Three times he denied, three times he's asked a question to be reinstated. We now see here in Acts chapter 10, three times the vision has to be poked at. No, Peter, get it, bro. When Jesus, though, three times asked him this question, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter keeps refer- referencing, yes, Lord, you know, like, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, like Lord. And then it says Peter's feelings were getting hurt. Lord, you know that I love you. But what does Jesus keep saying back to him every time he's asked the question, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. How does he know if Peter's gonna love him? What does he tell me he has to do? He says, feed or take care of my sheep. Well, technically that was the second, and third time he says that. What does he say the first time? The first time he says, feed my lambs. Why? Why does he say the first time, feed my lambs, but the second and third time, feed and take care of my sheep? What's a lamb? A lamb is a young, is a baby sheep. Just speculate with me. I wonder if Jesus knowing Peter would deny him, Jesus knowing he'd have to reinstate him, Jesus knowing it'd take three times in the vision to get a hold of Peter's attention and knowing what's about to happen in Caesarea. Jesus knew what was to come. He knew the miracle that would take place in the hearts of Gentiles that would spread through Rome because of this centurion. I wonder if he started with saying, feed my lambs, a lamb being a baby sheep. We would reference the idea of sheep being believers. We are as, like as a pastor, I look after God's flock, his sheep, his believers, the body of Christ. I wonder if Jesus the first time said, feed my lambs and then said, feed and take care of my sheep because it wasn't just about in general taking care of the body of Christ, Peter in general looking after the sheep. But I wonder if Jesus knew that Peter would end up going to the house of not sheep, of lambs. This this family as Cornelius and his family gathered, friends gathered, soldiers gathered, they're all there. They're brand new to it all. They weren't sheep. They weren't well-versed in it all. They they hadn't been around it. They didn't understand the teachings of Jesus. They were just baby lambs. And I, I just have to speculate a little bit. I wonder if the reason that they were asked is because in verse 27, when Peter shows up to preach, the essence of who they were was not sheep, but it comes back to what Jesus said in John 21, feed my lambs. So what did he do? Peter shows up to preach. And what's that? To feed the lambs. Why was this such a big deal though, that Peter specifically goes to this man's house? He shows up to see this guy, not just like any lamb, but this was a Roman soldier. He shows up to the house of a, of a Roman soldier. It says in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, let me show you in the New American Standard Bible, it says, Now there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. In the New, Amer- uh, New International Version, it says the Italian regiment. But in the New American Standard Bible, it says, Italian cohort. Cohort in the Greek, it means that Cornelius was from the 10th part of a legion of an army. And that would translate to be a unit of 80 soldiers. So he had 80 soldiers under his control, under his authority. You have to understand that these soldiers, including Cornelius, they would have been natives of Rome, which means they were taught the ways of Rome. They were taught the worship. Of Rome, the Roman pantheon of gods, they were taught to worship. Yet, I love verse two. Even though Cornelius was trained that way, even though the ways and the worship was what he was raised in as a native Roman soldier, verse two breaks it all down what can happen when God gets a hold of your life. It says, although that's all true, he and his family were devout and God-fearing. When he could have lived by polytheism, he chose to live by monotheism. I'm going to believe that there's one God, the true God. God God-fearing, he was referred to, although I'm not a Jew, I'm a God-fearer. I adhere to what the Jews adhere to. And it says that he gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. So see, as Cornelius was in prayer, he's praying to God regularly, Says at three o'clock, which according to the Jews was the time of prayer that's referenced in Acts chapter three. He has a vision. An angel shows up to him in a vision. And so the angel's like, Hey, you need to send your men. So he tells him, Send your men to go get the apostle Peter from Joppa to come and share with them whatever the Lord lays on your heart. So the men travel from Caesarea to Joppa to get Peter so he can show up and preach. And what's interesting is while they were traveling, just like Cornelius was in prayer and had a vision, Peter was in prayer and he had a vision as well. While he's praying, this vision comes to him like we just read of this sheet and the animals and all this stuff. And then after that, after the third time, he's like, oh, I get it. Okay. Then even after that, as these men show up, the spirit gives him clarity. He knew certainly that he was supposed to go with these men that had come to get him. Now, like, it's it's if you're like downtown or wherever like the big city is somewhere sketchy, and people roll up, they're like, hey, get in. You ain't getting in that car unless you got some clarity from the Holy Spirit. So he gets in the car with these dudes. And the next day, Peter and the crew, they traveled a day's journey, the Bible shows us, to Caesarea. And Cornelius and his friends and his family are waiting for them. So from Joppa to Caesarea, they get there, they're waiting for them. And it says in verse 34, then Peter began to speak. Um, Every time it just says Peter opens his mouth, it just sketches me out a little bit because you just don't know what's going to happen with the dude. But remember, he's full of the Holy Spirit. And you see a change in his life, so much change. This much change you see. This is what the Holy Spirit can do. What's the first thing that he wants to confess? He wants to make it clear that he had sinned and that he was prejudiced. Look at this. He said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. The first thing he wants to talk about when he gets there was, listen, I love this. Y'all didn't know I was prejudiced, but I was prejudiced. Y'all didn't know that I thought Jews were favorite. I could have just hit it and pretended like it wasn't in my heart, but I'm actually going to be very honest with you. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I was thinking because the Lord can know what I'm thinking anyway. So I might as well just be honest with it. See what I've learned in all my years of preaching, preaching God's word for quite a few hands, like quite a big handful of years now. I've learned that As I get God's word inside of me, I'm not just getting ready to release it or reveal it to people that they would be impacted by it. But as I minister to people, I'm ministered to by the word always. Meaning I open up the word on my own time with the Lord. But even while I preach it, even right now, I'm telling you, there's things that are coming into the framework of my mind that I'm going, oh, sheesh, this is something I need to do right now. This is a way that I need to grow. Right now, God reveals his word to me that brings such revelation even as I'm ministering to people. So, as Peter continues to share, you know, he's being honest and then he gets into the good stuff. He's like, let me talk about the anointed Jesus. The one who died, the one that rose again, the one who was prophesied about it. like He's getting into it. He wants to make it clear to them who Jesus is. But then he gets into verse 41, and there's something very specific while, why he was brought there. Why was it important that Peter came, that he wants to make it specific? He says, let me make it clear. In verse 41, he was not seen by all people. Jesus, neither by Psalm. Who did? But by witnesses whom God had already chosen. Oh man, by us. Can you imagine being able to say that? That you were one of the witnesses chosen by us who Jesus ate and drank with after he rose from the dead. See, God knew what people, who to choose to be witnesses of that time that would see his son Jesus that they would stay true to the very end, no matter what would come against them, opposition, persecution, bad days, getting over their prejudice, whatever it was. God knew who to choose that would be able to see and hear, taste and see that the Lord is good so that they would continue to the very end, making it clear that Jesus is Lord. If you you watch the, the extension that I told you at the beginning, stop and watch, but hopefully if you already watched it, The Hope of History, Here's the moment now, I'm going to read to you next, that I break down in that extension that Luke sets up. The end of chapter 9, he references Peter to set it up for chapter 10, to get to the very end of chapter 10. uh, This is the hope that Luke is writing about, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message, and the circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter, they're like, whoa! Whoa! They were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. That word even is key because it's like, whoa, okay, yep, Jesus said we were supposed to go and and we were supposed to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Okay, even Gentiles. Wow, we were wrong. We were prejudiced. Wow, we were so off. Even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. See, this is such a powerful moment in church history, not only because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, as a lot of different chapters in Acts refer to, but very specifically, Luke writes this to show us that they begin to speak in tongues, that the Gentiles now are speaking in tongues. I talk so much more about this, the power of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and the extension, the product of power. But let me just uh, give you like a short little something to break this down here. Speaking in tongues comes from the Greek word glossolalia. Now, if you were to break down glossolalia, it means that it's an actual language that's given. Let me just make this clear for you here. It is not a language that you can learn, and it's not a language that you can earn. It can only be given and received by the Holy Spirit. See a lot of people. They try to argue that speaking in tongues. They'll either try to say, "Well, it was only for the time of Acts," or they'll try to say, "Well, Acts chapter two, they it was like, it was languages that people received that were actually other like foreign or like human languages that were spoken so that other people could get the message. They re- could receive it. Yes, in Acts chapter two, that's completely true. And number one, yes, that can still happen today. People try to say it's only for that time. No, it can happen today. I I talk about this in my sermon, The The Promise of Power. That absolutely can happen. I have seen it. I have heard stories of it happening, number one. But number two, let me make it even clearer, that Acts chapter 2 is not the only account and the only thing we can go off of. Right here, Acts chapter 10. It's important that we have this today because this was showing us that when they were doing it, it's not like Acts chapter 2. They weren't speaking in other human languages that people could hear and understand, like the the phenomenon and this moment that happens in Acts. It was supernatural in Acts chapter two. But see, this is important for us to get because there was no human language being spoken here. Because a foreign human language being spoken, like like happened in Acts chapter two, it wasn't necessary in this case. Acts chapter two was for that case. But in this case, you realize that everybody at Cornelius' house spoke in Greek, right? Peter preached in Greek, right? So there was no need for it to happen like happened in Acts chapter two. They could all understand very clearly. See, uh, in Acts chapter two, when it happened, they were like, whoa, they're speaking our language, but they, they don't speak our language. How is this happening? Clearly, everybody there spoke Greek, so there wasn't a need for it. So when they began to speak in other tongues here, glossolalia, in Acts chapter 10, it was simply only them praising God. The Holy Spirit had given them a tongue language that was not of human origin. That was not Greek in that case, or for us, not English. They began to speak in something that was heavenly, not human. And as they began to speak glossolalia and other tongues that was received and given of the Holy Spirit, they simply, as it says here, they were speaking in tongues, praising God. It was praise language unto God. It was them saying, wow, we have received something right now here. The Holy Spirit's done something. How do you receive it? And that's what I talked about in the message, Gateway to God. But let me break it down quick for you here. Simple, because you need to be able to get the framework. In the midst of Peter preaching, there was no altar call or no moment. They just sat there like, wow, in their heart of hearts. They're like, we recognize that we have sinned. We now want to repent of that sin. So at some point, they're just sitting there like, Lord, we repent of our sin. Or just in their, their mind and their hearts, it was like, wow, we want to change. Repentance is not, I'm sorry. Repentance is, I will change. They decided, I'm going to change. So they recognized their sin, they repented of their sin, and then they received the forgiveness for their sin. But not just that, what happened here? What did Peter say? They start speaking in other tongues, which means they also received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Then he continues after he sees this, he's like, whoa, this is like, it's usually like you repent and you're baptized and then maybe, or does God not have an order? Like, how, how does God do things? I love that. God does what he wants to do but you can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit on somebody's life. No matter how God wants to do it, you'll see the evidence of the Holy Spirit. So verse 46, then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. It's like clearly they want to follow Jesus because the Holy Spirit isn't gonna fill somebody who isn't already claimed and bought and covered in the blood of Jesus. So they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at this last verse, verse 48. This is this is where we'll end. This is just important for us to grasp as Peter's gonna eventually in chapter 11, go back to Jerusalem. It says, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Why does that matter? Because you can see the difference in verse 28 when Peter first shows up to Cornelius' house versus after the Holy Spirit's dropped in verse 48. 28 and 48, look at these two verses, verse 28. He said to them, as he shows up, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. He's like, listen, I ain't even supposed to be here right now. Holy Spirit told me to come here, but I'm not technically supposed to be here. You get it? Verse 28. But look at after the Holy Spirit shows up. Verse 48. We just read it. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Peter goes from describing to them that he's not even supposed to be there to stay with them for a sleepover for a few days. This is what the Holy Spirit can do. He can take people that are enemies and make them best friends. He can take people that are completely against each other and he can bring them together in unity. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He goes past people groups, he goes past backgrounds, he goes over religions, and the Holy Spirit draws all men unto the Son, Jesus. And Jesus then draws all of us to the Father. This is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit drawing us towards that way, that truth, that we might have life. So right here, they're having their sleepover for a few days, it's a good time, I don't know. They watch some scary movies together, pull out the blankets and popcorn, whatever it was, had a good time. And then after this, Peter travels back to Jerusalem As I read to you earlier, the first four verses of chapter 11, he reports back everything, he breaks it down, he tells the story all over again. You're never gonna believe what happened in Caesarea. This is crazy. And look at verse 15. I'll read the last three verses of this section to really cap off Peter's moment here. He says, that as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them and he, uh, as he had come on us at the beginning. So he's like, hey, remember what happened to us in Acts chapter two? Same thing happened right here. It just happens, crazy. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them, he's like, listen, y'all, I, I didn't even believe myself. It's crazy. But if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objectives, objections because they were giving Peter a hard time. They're like, bro, what are you doing associating with Gentiles? But when they heard this, they gave Peter no further objections. And they praised God now saying, so then even to Gentiles. I imagine after that, they were like, we got to stop saying even. We just got to say, you know what? Man, God can do this with the Gentiles. God can do this with the Jews. God can do this with the Samaritans. But one more time, they say, even to Gentiles. God has granted repentance that leads to life. The door was opened. I mean, after this moment, it's open for the Gentiles and it's about to explode. They're like, you know what? I know up to this point, the church has mainly been full of Jews, but after this, it's like anyone who will call on the name of the Lord Jesus can be saved. There's something about when God opens a door. See, Peter didn't try to bust this door down. If anything, many times I've found like we have to be convinced to go because we're a little bit, we're a little bit nervy, we're a little bit scared. We don't know if we can step into certain things, but there's something about when God pricks on our heart saying, Listen, I've already gone before you. I have opened the door. You just gotta be faithful to walk into it. Well, what happens? As soon as Peter walks in the door, Cornelius is on his knees bowing because he's just cannot believe that the apostle Peter's there. And Peter's like, I'm only a man, get up. When God opens the door, you just gotta be faithful to walk through it. I don't know what doors right now God is trying to open for you, but you're scared to walk through, or maybe for others, what doors you're trying to bang on and bust down that God never asked you to, but I want you to know that if you will remain in him, meaning when we abide in Jesus, It's about getting in his presence, praying, hearing his voice, and then trusting him past that to simply walk out what he says. That's the hard part, hearing him. People think, oh, I can't hear God's voice. I don't, does he speak to me? Hearing him is not the hard part. Trusting and obeying what he said is the hard part. But I wanna tell somebody listening that if you will do that, if you will walk through open doors, you will see the power in the presence of God, fall on people and on circumstances that you are stepping into that could only be God. What you would try in your own might to see happen that will never happen when God opens a door. Isaiah twenty-two twenty-two, he says very clearly, the prophet writes that he opens doors that no one can shut and he closes doors no one can, can, op- can open. When God opens a door, Trust me, walk through it because you will be used for things you never thought possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we right now lean into you. I pray for open doors. I pray that, Lord, you would open doors that no one else could shut if they wanted to. I even pray that you will shut doors that, Lord, aren't supposed to be opened. Would you lead us into all understanding to know, Lord, what you're doing, the difference, and to trust you and obey you to step through. Open doors for the gospel to go forth. Open doors, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit to meet the lives of people. I pray for open doors in hearts. You tell us that, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. God, I pray that people like Cornelius all around would begin to open doors. As Jesus is knocking, they would open doors so that we can step into them. And just like Cornelius said, Peter, you got the floor, whatever you wanna share we're open to share. That Lord, we would speak with the boldness of your truth, but also Lord, even with a convicted and sincere heart to show our mistakes and where we've gone wrong, because people, when we're humble, and when we're authentic, people are moved by that. So I pray that we'd speak like Peter. Open doors with people like Cornelius and use us to lead and to love people like Peter. I pray that for every person that's listening, Open doors in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love y'all.